So today we begin a new series titled Walking by Faith. And it's a series of biblical passages that I'll be uh, preaching on in the mornings. And some of these themes will then be studied further with those who are involved in the Living Small Groups. If you're not part of a small group, uh, please don't worry. These messages will not feel incomplete to you. Um, These messages will be for each person, whether you're a part of a living small group or not. And today we focus on the Old Testament psalm, as we already heard parts of it, a psalm of David, Psalm 139. Before we read from the psalm, let's pray. God Almighty, we give you thanks for your presence, for your power, for your knowledge, for your greatness. We thank you that we could be reading from this ancient psalm and the words still speak to us today. So speak to us and through the power of your Holy Spirit, may the words penetrate our minds and our hearts and may we live out what it is that you are calling us to. So bless the reading of Psalm 139. Bless the proclamation of your word. Bless each person here, Lord, uh, that we may be transformed more and more into your likeness. It is only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 139, for the director of music of David a Psalm. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So King David was a man after God's own heart. You can read that in 1 Samuel 13. 
And yet he was far from perfect. So this psalm progresses as sinful, broken David reminds us of certain things about his awesome God. And you know what? These things are rather basic. But we need to be reminded of these foundational truths. That God knows us. That God is with us. That God created us. God judges rightly and finally on account of all that God is and all that he does for us. How are we going to live as people who are transformed by the power of God in us? So David shares what God does for us. And he also recognizes that we have the opportunity to respond to be who God calls us to be. So as you can see, I think this is my first five-point sermon. Verses 1 to 6. David begins with the words, You've searched me, Lord. You know me. God knows us. The word search in this passage is to examine with pain and with care. And the Jewish people would use this certain word to describe digging deep into a mine, searching, exploring a new mine or a new land. It's not how some of us might look for something with our eyes half closed and say, honey, I couldn't find it. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Or at least the women do. This searching that the psalmist uses is like a search and rescue. And when David says, Lord, you've searched me, God has gone beyond the surface. And we, we often see the surface, but God sees deeper. He sees our mind. He sees our heart. This morning, I'm going to give you a very brief lesson on psychology, but it relates to each of us. And there's something that's called the Jahari window which encourages people to better understand themselves. Now, the Jahari window is named after two psychologists, Joe and Harry. That's where we get Jahari. It's actually quite straightforward, and it's got four quadrants in this window. It's got the open, the hidden, the blind, and the unknown. And just very briefly, the open quadrant is information that you know about yourself and others know that same information about yourself it might be your age your hair color ethnicity your vocation it's basically considered your public self it's what you allow the public to see people know what they see it but the hidden quarter is information that you know about yourself and most others don't i mean a few people might know it's what's referred to as the private self Perhaps this is about one's fears or addictions. Perhaps you put on that humorous facade when deep inside you're hurting. And then there's the blind quadrant. It's information that you don't know about yourself, but others do. It might be that tick that somebody has. Or how somebody might say a certain word in many of their conversations, and you don't even realize it. Or there's that weakness or growth edge that we all have. Basically, this is where we count on people's gracious feedback because they know something about us that we don't know. And we can learn to know it. The fourth quadrant is the unknown self. 
It's information that neither you nor others know about yourself. There's still stuff that we don't even know yet about ourselves or may never know. Such as, why do I get defensive when a certain topic is talked about? Or what is it that triggers a certain emotion in me? And why? The point of all this, the four quadrants, is that we and others do not know ourselves fully. But the psalmist this morning is saying from Psalm 139 that God knows all the quadrants. God knows everything about us. When it comes to ourself, there's no unknown self or hidden self to God. God knows our full self. There's nothing he doesn't know about us. And there's no place that we can go and hide from God. Hebrews 4, 13. We hear these words. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So God sees things that we as humans do not see. And he sees our heart. He desires our hearts and our lives to be transformed more and more into his likeness. Into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And this can only be done as we know ourselves more deeply. And as we know our God. And it's not just about knowing our open and hidden self, but also that blind Self, and most important, that unknown self. You see, God knows us so well. And he knows us so well because God is with us. The next verses, 7 to 12, start off with asking, well, where can I go from your spirit? And the psalmist realizes that God is all present and he's continually and constantly with us, guiding us. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in Genesis. Jonah tried to run from God. The Apostle Paul, in his days of persecution, tried to do his own thing without God. But God got a hold of these people. God is there. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah refers to Emmanuel. He prophesies about the coming of Christ, Emmanuel. The New Testament were introduced to the person of Christ, Jesus. Emmanuel meaning God with us. A couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago already, Philippians 2, we we went through a series of Philippians, and Philippians 2, we were reminded how Jesus Christ emptied himself out. He emptied himself out. He became nothing. He came to this earth as a human being. He was God among us. And after his death and his resurrection, he ascended to heaven, but he did not leave his people alone. God is with us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. So God knows us so well because he is always with us. He's like that best friend or that family member that just never leaves our side, whether in good times or in troubled times. And God is not just present when we enter into the sanctuary on Sunday mornings. And we call this the sanctuary, but Scripture is clear that we are the sanctuary. We are the buildings of Christ. We are the house of God. So our bodies, our lives, are all sacred to Jesus. And He's with us in our schools, in our our workplaces, our families. He's with us in all of our lives. And as we go and make disciples... As we read in Matthew 28, God is with us to the very end of the age. Any 
transformation that occurs in our life occurs through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. That same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us, his people. God is with us. But then we might say, well, how sometimes we don't feel God's presence in our lives. I don't feel like he's transforming me. And that can easily be the situation for many of us at times. But how assuring and comforting it is to know that God is still there. He has not moved from his people. He always desires to work his power in us. And perhaps we need to reflect in our lives whether we have moved from him. Are we running from something? God knows us so well because he's with us and because he created us. And we heard those words also through the children's message this morning. In verses 13 to 18, we read a powerful and descriptive passage of how we belong to Jesus from the time of conception in our mother's womb. God has fearfully and wonderfully made us and we are created in his image. And he has breath, his breath in our lungs. We sang the words this morning. We have the breath of God in our lungs. This week, we had the funeral service of Cor Herdes. And uh, Cor was a gifted man who transformed metal, medical equipment that was useless and outdated by the professionals in North America. And it was basically rendered trash. And Cor took this trash and he worked it and he shaped it and he transformed this trash to us into a treasure for the medical professionals in Makara, Nigeria. So trash became treasures. The broken became beautiful. Transformation occurred. What was once trash here was transformed into something nobody thought it would ever become again. God fearfully and wonderfully created each of us. But yes, the fall into sin occurred. Sin entered into this perfect and beautiful world and sin distorts our relationship with God. Sin distorts our relationship with one another. Sin distorts our relationship with ourselves. I hear it too often where people devalue uh, one another or put somebody else down. There's racial strife and judgments made against people. Or where individuals, whether it be youth, adults, or seniors, you don't feel, you don't feel valued. You don't feel valued yourselves. There's this feeling of this unwantedness or a low self-esteem. And that's sin entering into our minds. That's the devil saying that we have no worth. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to restore his created beings. And on, of, on account of Christ, we have value. We have worth. Jesus died for us. And he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for all our sins. 
And we're all image bearers of God, each one of us. And yes, we're broken, and we might even sometimes feel like trash. But God has taken the broken, and he's made it beautiful through his son, Jesus. God is transforming us more and more into his likeness. As followers of Jesus Christ, we don't just stay the same. It's not biblical to stay the same. It's not even reformed. And God has a plan for each of his treasures. Verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows us and he's with us and he created us for a purpose. He's planned out all our days. And we're, we are his partner in ministry and mission. And he's got a calling for each of us. So whatever you're doing in your life, as scripture says, whether you're eating or drinking or playing or working, do it with thanksgiving and to the glory of God. Colossians 3 and 1 Corinthians 10. We're his creation. We're his treasures. And we all have been given a purpose by our God. So God knows us because he is with us. He's created us in his image. And that doesn't mean life is a free-for-all. Because we also read that God judges righteously. There's still judgment for his people. Verses 19 and 22. The psalmist kind of takes a, a, what I would look at as a bitter turn. David talks about behaviors that are wicked and bloodthirsty and evil intent and those who rebel. And the reality of life is that there are still people who rebel against God. And David shows that he is upset with these people. And how much more wouldn't God be upset? Now, it might sound like David hates the people who sin. And this sort of language was more common in the Psalms. People like David openly shared their anger with God for those who went against God's will. There are enemies to God, and they will be punished. There will be judgment. But we also read in the New Testament where Jesus calls us to love one another, and even our enemies. We can perhaps be involved in correcting behavior, but let God do the judging. And God will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. And the unrighteous, who we've read here, will have nothing to do with Jesus. They're going to be judged harshly. And those who are in Christ and have Christ in them don't have to worry about a judgment to hell. Having faith and believing in Jesus means that we are assured that all our sins have been put onto him. So when it comes to judgment, Jesus has paid the price. And we will be judged to eternal life. Believers will be before the judge, but acquitted, set free, because Jesus took our sins. And David knows this. And he finds it so disturbing when others rebel against God, and that gets him angry. And he likely hurts for the people who rebel against his God. Because God will judge all people. And we need to be prepared. So in the end, the final verses, 23 and 24, David knows that he ultimately he can't change people's hearts. And yes, we're called to be obedient to God, 
to make disciples, to be partners with God in mission. But the changes in people's lives are on account of God. And we can only be responsible for what happens in our own hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And so we're called to respond. And so here in these verses, David gives God permission to search him. And not that God needs permission, but David here acknowledges that transformation needs to occur. Allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us more and more into his likeness. Walking by faith allows us to surrender our hearts and our minds and our emotions, our whole self. Even learning about our unknown self. Walking by faith encouraged us to expose what God sees and to learn more about ourselves so that transformation will follow. It allows us to receive information, truth, from God's holy word. To reflect on that information, on that truth. And then to live it out, to practice it. To practice it in our families, in our social settings, in our workplaces. Receiving, reflecting, and practicing all occurs in the presence and the power of God and His Holy Spirit and His people. So when we join with the psalmist in asking God to search us and test us, we can expect God will expose things in our lives that will not necessarily appear glamorous. And when we pray this prayer as David did, you can expect perhaps a mess. And things might get messy. A messy doesn't have to be bad as long as you know that God is present, that he is with us. That he is in control no matter what. Remember that he created us. And he can turn a mess into something beautiful. One of the songs that was requested last week, Sunday evening as well, we didn't play it, we didn't know it at the time, but it was a Gunger song, You Make Beautiful Things. You make beautiful things out of us are the words of the song. God can turn circumstances and situations to his glory. So let us keep our focus on God, on his work, on what God is doing in us. And he doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants his people transformed. And God will see our screw-ups. He will see the messes in our life. And God knows things about us that we don't know, and that can be scary, but it can also be assuring because he's forgiven all our sins. And for those who have faith and believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Jesus has has taken all our messes in life upon him. And for that, out of gratitude, we should want to be obedient and desire to learn more about ourselves and who we are and who God created us to be. And how we can change from some of our behaviors to behaviors that are more pleasing to God, whether in worship or in other areas of our lives. God desires us to walk in His ways and He desires us to please Him. And what pleases, is, pleases God is that His people are spiritually and emotionally healthy. And God sees more than we see, and He knows more than we know, and He knows what is best for us. 
Isaiah 30, verse 21, we read these words, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. God will guide us. Friends, God desires His church, His body, to be transformed and living bodies. Transformed, vibrant churches can only be that way when we become transformed, vibrant people. And as we move forward in this series of walking by faith, may we turn our hearts to Jesus and ask Him where He is changing our lives for His purpose and for His glory for his church, for his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done and continue to do. We thank you for your faithfulness and your greatness. We thank you that you know us better than ourselves and you love us so much that you sent your son to save us. Save us, your broken yet valuable treasures. We praise you and we bless you and we respond to you desiring to follow you. So work in us through your powerful Holy Spirit to respond in obedience. Work in us to strive to become more and more transformed into your likeness. And may we not so much worry about how the other person is changing, but be open to your changing our hearts and our lives. Thank you for always being near us, and for giving us value through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's only in his name we pray. Amen.